found in the Word of God. Let's put our hands together and welcome the kings as they come. Bless them if you would with me. Well, he could have just kept on preaching. I just sit over there. Just let this keep on going. I'm just thankful to be here today. Um, God has been doing some great things. Man, sitting uh, down there and just feeling the Holy Ghost move over this congregation. I'll tell you what. I was rejoicing with the miracles that have been happening in this family. Uh, some people told me about what, what happened. and just, to, just amazing. You know, God is doing some things in the world if you're sensitive in the Holy Ghost, I think you're going to start realizing that God is doing some different things in the world right now. There's a tsunami of, of the presence and awareness of the supernatural that's been happening, just sweeping across the nation. I've seen more miracles, and I've been born into this thing. So this isn't like, oh yeah, new thing. I've been born into this thing, and I've seen more miracles in the last two months in my whole time, my whole life, and I've seen some miracles. I've seen people walk that shouldn't be walking. I've seen people alive that should be dead. I've seen seen people that are paralyzed that are now walking. God is doing some fabulous, amazing things, and there's never a better time than right now to be in the apostolic presence of the Holy Ghost. I say that with all confidence. Um, I'm thankful to be ministering with my wife. We don't get to do this very often, but I'm thankful that Brother Urshan uh, gave us, uh, just said, hey, preach it. And I get to do it with my, my better half. <laughs> so you get the best preaching today. <laughs> we are so grateful to be with all of you in the house of the Lord today. This weekend was so enriching, I, not only hopefully for you, but for us too. We are so thankful and honored to be with you and just to pour into each other's marriages and families this weekend. We give honor to the Urshans. They're incredible people. You guys have an awesome pastor. Amen. We respect them highly. And uh, he has spoken into our lives and uh, has ministered to our circles. And so it is just an honor to be able to be here with all of you. We also give honor to the Dixons. They have yeah. been incredible hosts. Amen. They think of every detail. They're so organized and thoughtful. So we appreciate you both. Thank you for all that you do, not just what you did this weekend, but for all that you do for this church. Amen. 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 If we could all stand if you have your Bibles. Can you please turn to Numbers chapter 20? If you get your iPhone, <laughs> swipe. This is a very familiar passage. God's laid on our hearts to preach today, and I think it will be, a, and I pray that it will be a relevant word in your hearts today that will uplift and give us faith. Give us faith. I think that's all something that we need a little bit more of. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. 
Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there, and there was no water for the congregation. Today we want to give you this nudge from the Holy Ghost, and that is to stand still and see. Stand still and see. Let's all pray. Jesus, God, I pray your power, your anointing would be upon us. God, anoint our lips, anoint the hearers, God. Let the word go forth, God, and go deep into our hearts. We believe you and we believe the power, God, that's in this place. God, I do a great work today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. We are preparing for uh, this, this sermon today. And uh, we were, you know, kind of getting everything together. And we realized that we had um, some experiences that weren't immediately on our mind. We actually realized it. That a few years ago, um, we were on a study trip. And uh, actually, Krista was in her graduate program at a university. Um, she's actually working on her doctorate in theology. And they said, look, you're going to have to come to the school and do a, um, you know, like an on-site thing for two weeks and be here in Missouri. And so, you know, I'm really excited about her going for two weeks to Missouri. I'm like, come on, you know? And uh, so then they, they called back and said, okay, well, you got a choice. You can either go to Missouri or you could go to Israel for two weeks. I said, let me pray about it. So we travailed, and fasted, and uh, they got back to us and said, and we, we said, let's do it. You know, we booked the plane tickets, and then they called back and said, I'm so sorry, but the trip to Israel has been canceled. Of course, I was very sad. And uh, they said, but if you want, there is another trip that's going to Israel for a month, can you go? We didn't have kids at this time. So we're like, sign us up. Let's go. <laughs> so we were able to go to Israel for one month and travel and explore. And it was an amazing time for every child of God. I, I think everybody should get a you know, ticket over there and go experience. I don't know what's happening and what's blowing up over there. But <laughs> it was an amazing time when we went. Um, but the thing is, is when you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus and the prophets and, and you're walking through the desert, stuff starts to just make sense. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When you're there, when you get to touch the stuff, you get to be there, you get to get the sunburn. You know, like, at least I get sunburns all the time. You get to experience the place that you've read about in a whole different way. It really does come alive. And one place in particular that was so special was the wilderness of Zin. And that's actually in Jordan. So it was biblical Israel. And um, part of it, it wasn't in the promised land quite yet. It was outside the promised land in that wilderness, what is modern day Jordan. And I remember this moment where we were sitting on this cliff overlooking this wilderness. It's a desert, really. And the moment came to me where I was like, oh, 
Elijah would have heard that still small voice right here. And it was just that internal voice that just came to him. His sensitivity was there and he was able to sense God's moving in his life. And we just sat there, the sun was setting. And we actually have a picture for you, a picture we took there in the wilderness of Zin. And we have, we have a lot, we were going through them last night when we realized we actually have a picture of the wilderness of Zin. So we sent it over to the media team to put up. So of course being teachers, we're like, hey, let's just show them instead of telling them. <laughs> so you're gonna get a little bit of an object lesson, right? But as you can see from that picture, you know the, how water is a pretty important thing? You know, just after like playing, a, you know, playing some sports with your friends, how important water is. <laughs> Go into a desert, and this is the, what it actually looks like. There is nothing. You think of desert, and there's like cacti and stuff like that. Here, there's nothing. It's sand and rock. And so, thinking back to our passage, there was no water for the congregation. Is this a big or a little problem? That's a big problem. There was no water. So you see Moses leading the people out. God, I'm trusting you. Here we go. And they're walking and they're not encountering any water. That is a terrifying phenomenon. You are now responsible. You are now a leader of a whole host of people you're following God and he, what he's put inside of you, and there's no water. The very most basic need a human needs is water, and there's no water. So there are actually three water crises that the children of Israel experienced. And this one that we read about in Numbers chapter 20 is the third. So let's look at all three of them and see if we can look at any patterns. I'm really big on visuals. Uh, just listening doesn't help me as much, so created a little visual for you. Um, so there's, there's three water crises, and we have a little map to show you. So the first water crisis takes place right after they have, they've gone through the Red Sea, God made a way, and they come out on the other side, and it happens right about the time you would expect it to happen. It's about three days after they've left a water source. And so, you know, that's how long can you live without water? About that amount of time. And so the water crisis happens, and, you know, there's a, a pond. It has bitter water in it. And, uh, you know, God says, grab that stick, Moses, throw it into the water, and I'll make that water sweet. I'll make it, you know, drinkable. And so God performs the miracle. And about three days, a few days later, we don't know exactly how long, about three days later, exactly where you'd expect it to happen, there's another water crisis, maybe about when their canteens run out. And, man, we need water again. And we're, there's, no even, there's no water around, even bitter water this time. What are we going to do, Lord? And the people are murmuring, and Moses says, okay, God, you've got to help me out. They're, they're going to stone me. Like, they literally started threatening to stone him. And so Moses says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to you, God. I'm going to be sensitive to you. And what does God do? He says, hey, go ahead and strike that rock. And so God's like, okay, strike that rock. He strikes the rock. What happens? Water comes out. Pretty incredible. Right about the time you would expect it to happen. But what about the third water crisis? 
The third water crisis, you can see like the squiggly line that we painstakingly drew. It's very accurate, by the way. The, th the third water crisis happens 40 years after. So I know for you people that know your Bible, you guys understand where it, what happened. So when, when Moses struck that stone, which was called Miriam's well, it, this, in the second water crisis, that stone followed them for 40 years. But what's interesting, the passage that we read at the very beginning, was that now that they had been in the, in, the, in the desert for 40 years, they had this constant supply of water that before took a lot of faith. It became normal. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? Miriam died. And you could see, and it, the verse 2 that we read says, and they had no water for the congregation. And means that you probably need to look at the verse before it, Right? And the verse before it talks about how Miriam had just died. So Miriam was connected to the water somehow. They called it Miriam's well, or the, the Bible calls it Miriam's well. So the water that, that they got from water crisis number two, when Moses struck the rock, on some, somehow Miriam was connected to this water. So in water crisis number three, they've been relying on this same water source, Miriam's well, for 40 years. They're on the cusp of the promised land. And then Miriam dies. And the very next verse says the congregation had no water. And so Moses, think about his relationship to Miriam. He's here grieving the loss of his sister. And the people are murmuring again. And what's he to do? He winks back on the miracles that God has already performed. Not just the water crisis miracles, but so many miracles that God performed in Egypt. Parting the Red Sea. And he says, what are we going to do? We've got to have water. So Moses goes to God and says, okay, God, we got a problem. We're going to have to talk. He goes, prays, and God says, in Numbers 20, take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water. All right, something that we learned when we were in Israel was how, you know, us that are thousands, like 3,000, maybe even more years later, we typically think of the Israelites as them. You get what I mean? Like, they were idiots. Why did they not trust God? You know, like, why, didn't, why did they murmur? Why did they want to throw rocks at Moses since he just now opened up the sea? But, of course, we've read the end of the book. We kind of, you know, we've been to Jesus. We've been to Acts 2.38. Like, we've, we have all this settled. But put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. They hadn't been through all this. They hadn't met Jesus. They hadn't heard of a resurrection. So, they're... We have to, in our minds, not say, put them as a them. Put yourself in that situation. Put yourself as Moses. Right? And, okay, God, I've seen a lot of things. You, got, you God, you've done so many things. You've done some great things in, in our life. I'm, man, we've been there. But, God, we got another problem. 
we're facing another difficulty, and I'm not exactly sure what to do. So God says, all right, Moses, go ahead and speak to the rock. Now, if you're thinking, um, God, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, we're in a desert, God. Speak to the rock. There's, there's rocks everywhere, you know. Unless you think, was there uh, the rock? So there had been a rock following them. Corinthians calls it, that rock was Christ. But that rock was following them and had dried up. And now he asked Moses, Moses, I need you to trust me. And you're not going to do it the same way you did it last time because this is a whole new scenario. And now I'm calling you into the promised land where you're not just free from Egypt, from sin. You're now free, but now you're kind of living check to check. But I want to take you into a land of blessing. But it's going to take different. It gets, it's going to be different. I can't do the same things to you to call you up. You're going to have to do something more different. I want you this time to take your rod and speak to the rock. So let's ask now, what does Miriam have to do with the wells and water? How is Miriam connected to the water crisis? So just before crisis number one, Miriam sings her song. She's, she's rejoicing that they've just come out of the Red Sea. She takes her timbrel and she dances with the women. Israel, the, the whole group had just sang and danced, but Miriam said, no, I got to sing too. I, I got to lead them in my own song. So just before water crisis number three, Miriam dies. And then the rock that Moses hit in crisis number two becomes Miriam's well. So the connection goes even deeper than that. Let's look at Miriam's name. So we have a little visual for you here. Hey, is, is it okay if we go deep today? I mean, I I know Brother Urshan, so I know you're no stranger to deep. <laughs> so we're going to go there today, hopefully. Maybe not as deep. We're going to maybe kitty pull deep, you know? <laughs> kitty pull deep. So Miriam's name, okay? Mem, Resh, Yod, Mem. So you read from right to left. So up here above the word Miriam is her name in Hebrew, okay? Mem, Resh, Yod, Mem. It's a final Mem. It looks different than the first Mem, okay? And in Hebrew... The letters themselves have significance, not just the words. So you can ask how many other words in Hebrew have these same four letters, just with different vowel pointings. And there are three. The only three. Th only three. The three words are marem, which means bitter. Okay. Merem, which means to lift up. And then morem, which means rebels. Oh, who cares? What does that mean, right? Well, where do these words show up in Scripture? Interestingly, they show up at the three water crises. So think back. So Miriam, Miriam is all over this, this whole narrative. In water crisis number one, where do we see the word bitter? They couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. So Moses said, or God says, hey, Moses, take this stick, throw this into the pool, and it becomes sweet. Crisis number two, Moses takes his stick and lifts up his hand and strikes the rock. He does that also in crisis number th three. And then in crisis number three, right before hitting the rock again, he said, listen, you rebels, 
Miriam is all over this passage. What? Why? What is the significance? So Moses, Miriam, and water trouble go way back. So if you remember the story, Pharaoh decreed that all the baby boys be thrown into the Nile. There's a rabbinic teaching that the parents of Aaron and Miriam, those were the brother and sister, had separated. This is, this is an old rabbinic teaching. Um, they, they thought, why have a baby in the midst of crisis if we're just risking that this baby's going to be thrown into the Nile? So why create life if it could be killed by forces out of our control? And the rabbis teach that Miriam had a prophecy that their child would eventually save Israel from bondage in Egypt. And this is confirmed if you look at Exodus 15, 20. It says, then Miriam, the prophet, and then it says Aaron's sister. It doesn't say Moses' sister. It says Aaron's sister. Because at the time, Miriam was only Aaron's sister, and she was a prophet. So she, the prophetess, it says in the KJV, um, had prophesied this to her parents. And they came back together, according to the rabbinic teaching, and they had Moses, even though they knew he was going to potentially be killed. So they tried to keep it quiet for some time. Exodus 2, verse 3 says, and when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. This is the mom. Think about this position that she's in. Put yourself in her shoes. Would there have been fear for you? You're about to place this baby boy. He was probably only a few months old when his cries got louder and they couldn't hide him anymore. And she places him in a basket and puts him in a body of water. That in and of itself, even if there were no other threats, how fearful would that be? Yeah. And then to think, who's going to find him? There's a lot of unknown. See the, the beauty of actually putting yourself in their shoes. God had given Miriam a promise, this young girl had give, gifted her with the gift of prophecy. And she had prophesied. And now the promise was here. God, we see the promise. You, your word has not gone out in, in, in vain. Mm -hmm. It's here. It's before us. But you know, God, we got a problem. There are soldiers outside my door. There are da there's danger all around. What do I do? Miriam, I'm sure in desperation, holding this promise in her hand, what do I do with my promise now? Yeah. I got it. It's here, but it looks like it's going to be stripped away from me. Yeah. Yeah. And you could think of times all throughout the scripture where this has happened to key leaders and, and key figures of the Bible where there was a promise, but now that promise was in danger. Its life was in danger. And so now Miriam, not knowing what to do, starts to, well, okay, well, maybe I do take it down to the, the rushes. You know, I take it down to the wilderness because maybe that's the only place where there are less people. That it's not going to be overheard. Maybe this is all I know to do now, God. But you know, the child can't live in there. Yeah. What's going to happen? So she, she goes down with the basket. She puts it in the, in the river and stands back. There's nothing she can do more. Arguably, right? Yeah. I mean, she can go deep into the world. But what, this is a girl. Maybe her parents are working. Slavery was a real thing. Mm -hmm. All they could do is resort to their daughter that had heard from God. 
And now she was standing on the brink of a, of a river with reeds mm-hmm. and pushes the baby out. And here comes deliverance in the form of fear. Think about the person that found the baby. Of all people, Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket. That could just mean a sentence to death. That's the worst person possible, maybe other than Pharaoh himself, to find this basket. But Miriam stood afar off and watched to see, what are you going to do, God? You've given me this prophecy. You've given me this promise. I've done what I can do. I'm going to stand still and see what you are going to do. So Miriam, standing there, watches, I mean, for sure, destruction. You know, this rich, most in, probably one of the most wealthy women in the world at that time, walk down and open a little humble basket with a little Hebrew boy in it, opens the lid, and the boy starts crying. And you could just think of Miriam going, oh, God. He's crying. Please look like, please be a sweet baby in this moment, at least, you know. And she has compassion on him and picks him up. And you know what's really interesting is that God uses her when there was nothing else that she could do. She then now becomes the conduit through which God uses to bring his purpose to pass. Because without, without instruction, teaching him, he would have just become another Egyptian boy in Egypt. But now, Miriam standing in the, in, the, in the brushes actually sees now, oh, I've done all I could do. I waited for God to bring help. I'm going to have to step out in faith. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to trust that really that's compassion in her eyes and offer myself. Can I get you a nurse? Can I help you? And now God uses Miriam with that faith in her heart to save the promise that would be the deliverance from sin in Egypt. So remember going back to verse 4, she stood from afar. Fast forward now though, Miriam is now standing on the shore of the Red Sea. It's also called the Sea of Reeds with Moses next to a body of water. This time, though, there's the entire Egyptian army bearing down. The future of the entire Hebrew nation is at stake. There's no earthly hope. This time, it's not just a river, but it's a sea of reeds. It's not just one Hebrew baby, but it's an entire group, an entire nation of Hebrew people. Not just one Egyptian, but an army of Egyptians this time. And Moses said unto the people, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord shall fight for you. These are the same words that Moses is saying. It's exactly what Miriam did with me, he says. It's my story played out on a grander scale. And if we're going to get out of this, you do what Miriam did. You stand still and see. And that's what Moses prompts us to do. Thousands of years later, 
stand still and see? Can you be like Miriam? Can you stand still and see? It's a chance to demonstrate your faith. It's not something that they had no evidence for. They had been part of the 10 plagues. But in this moment, Miriam's prophecy starts to come true. You know, Miriam had to have been in that moment. Can you imagine? All right. She had watched all this happen. She had watched Egypt be left behind them after getting out of Egypt. We're delivered. Awesome, God. You're so stinking good. Right? <laughs> then they're on the banks of the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds is another name for it. They're on the banks of the Sea of Reeds, and now the situation is flipped again. But it's recognizable to Miriam. And it's probably recognizable to Moses, too. Yeah. So interesting how God does this and puts these types and shadows. You know, the Bible is pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. And now all these things, as, as Chris had just said, all these things line up again. They're on the body. It's not just a river of reeds. It's this ocean of reeds. It's not just one Egyptian coming down. It's the whole army. It's not just one baby at stake. It's the nation of Israel that's at stake. God has a way of not, not bringing you back into the same situations over and over again, hoping that you'll have the same faith. God brings these situations about to move you to another level. Because it's, it's line upon line. He's saying, okay. You know, we look at tests sometimes and... I hate tests. Let's just be real. I mean, I hate school tests. And I hate, you know, like the whole like, you know, spiritual sort of tests. It, they're just not fun. Because you have to wonder. You have doubt. Yep. You don't like the feeling of fear it brings up in your heart. Yep. But here's the thing. I had my perspective changed on tests. What if tests aren't for the teacher what if they're for the student? Oftentimes the tests that we go through in school are for the teacher. Are you really like, you know, up to the grade that you should be? You know, are you working on it? You got to prove to me. You following? Well, what if the tests that God gives us aren't for him because he already knows the end from the beginning? What if the test that God puts in front of you, he knows what you would do? Amen. He knows that he's not going to put anything in front of you you, you can't hold or you can't bear. What if they're for your sanctification? Mm -hmm. And I think if we start to understand that, we could go into tests with so much more confidence knowing, okay, God, you got my back. You've given me this rod, this familiar. So when, when Moses, going back to Moses, when Moses walks up to that rock, for the third time after 40 years that that rock has provided, and now his sister is dead. That kind of stable consistency is now gone. Yeah. Kind of like that life insurance is not as is there as it once was. She had been a staple in his life if you look out through all the, uh, the scriptures. And now it's gone. And Moses says, I want you to take your staff. Think about where that staff had been. If staffs could talk, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
It had been at the parting of the sea. It had been at that first water crisis. Or the second, I should say. It had been all these different places. It had eaten serpents. Apparently, staffs have appetites. <laughs> but God says, take your staff. But Moses, I don't want you to hit it this time. That would be the same situation played over again. I'm going to call you to something new. I'm going to call you to something different. Some of the same problems. He's angry. God, why aren't they listening to you? He, they've, been, they've seen this rock produce, and now they're grumbling at me again. He was in, indignant. He was also grieving. His emotions were high. Mm -hmm. What do I do, God? And God says, speak to this rock. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 10, Moses is in this state of grief. He's angry with the people. And he calls them rebels. He says, here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And oftentimes, that's the attitude and the stance that we take as leaders, as spouses, as parents, as business people. When we get into a hard season, when there are unknowns or there's a loss and we're grieving that loss, we let other emotions mask our vulnerability. And if you were here this weekend, you heard anger is vulnerability's mask. And Moses in that moment let his anger get the best of him. He rebukes them in anger and, and gets kind of sarcastic with them. And in that moment when he strikes the rock, it's as if he's trying to go back to a time in history that was familiar yeah. when Miriam was alive. It's the nostalgia of it. He was going back to what he knew, but God said, it's time to trust me. Even in your grief, even in your season that's hard where there are unknowns, it's time to trust me, God said. So God says in Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, take your staff, the familiar, but speak to the rock. This is new. Moses, you're on the cusp of the promised land. You're on the cusp of blessing. You're on the cusp of abundance. You were in slavery. You've been free for 40 years, but it hasn't really felt like freedom because you've been paycheck to paycheck. But now you're on the cusp of going into something you, you can't even imagine, Moses. You can't even imagine. And I'm about to take you there, but you have to trust me. You got to do what's new and novel and trust my ways. If the musicians would come, we're not going to preach forever. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but I know with a crowd this size that there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of faith. There's a lot of obstacles. Looking at that big, beautiful building waiting to be ha like built. That's an obstacle. Mm -hmm. But God is doing some great things yes. right now. And you know, that's right. God is doing some great things. And I recognize that. But we can't win yesterday's battles. We can't, we can't win it 
the, the battle that's coming up with yesterday's victories. Yeah, that's right. God is calling us to new and greater, and every single one of us has potential. We get to work with people all every day because we're, we're both counselors and, and ministers. And every day we talk to people that don't have, like I said at the seminar, we don't, they don't have their mask on. They're not, they're not hiding anything. Yeah. They're being themselves. Yeah. And in being real with themselves, we see people open up, and I see this in myself too, yeah. that when I'm facing some big stuff, you know, walking out in faith, who's going to be real? That's not always easy. Putting my foot into that deep place. You know, Peter sees Jesus. Man, this would be a really cool miracle. You know, I want to go to Jesus, but there's a lot holding me back from going to Jesus and really getting out of this boat. All of my past experiences with you, Lord, say that you could do the impossible. But all my past experience being a fisherman, I know that this water isn't solid. You see that conundrum? Yep. So when we put our foot out, we have to have that faith. We have to have that faith. You know, I, I used to think that faith is this like, you know, mental focus thing. Like, oh, if I can faith this. You know, kind of like a bench press, but like mentally. Don't you guys laugh because you know you've probably done the same thing. <laughs> well, I started looking at what is faith. Yeah. One of those words that we use all the time, but we're trying to like wrap our mind around it. And I think there's faith all over this scripture. Mm -hmm. All over these passages, all over this story, God is showing what faith looks like. The word faith in Hebrew is emunah, which means trustworthiness, steadiness, faithfulness. So let me go back to an example that you would remember where the word faith is used. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, if you remember that Moses is fighting the Amalekites and they're kind of winning and losing and then remember how Moses is like lifts up his hands and they start winning, and then he's like, okay, my arms are tired, God. I need a break. And puts his arms down, and they, the Amalekites start winning. And this is where, in this passage, faith is used. The word emunah. It says, talking about Moses, his hands were steady. You know, it's interesting. His hands were emunah. So Joshua comes and holds his hand and holds his hands up because we got to win this battle. Sometimes we got to lean on the faith of others too. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Because this is the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. It's not just a guy from California and people from Cincinnati. We're all in the same battle together with the same fears, the same anxieties, the same problems. But you know what? God is calling all of us to push in a brand new way, and that's hard. Yeah. 
we're facing brand new problems in the world, Ukraine and, and pandemics and inflation and gas prices, my word. But you know, God is in this. We have a lot of victories in our past. But there's more victories tomorrow yep. and your next day. And you know, there's victories here at this altar. Amen. And just a little bit. Because God is calling us to a deeper level. Another place where we see faith being demonstrated, that word emunah, Adam just read, meant steady. It's also linguistically rooted in the word amon, Isaiah 22, verse 23. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. The word sure, that's amon. That's where we get faith, a sure place. Where is your sure place? Where do you find safety, security? Where will you maintain your steadiness? And then emun, same root from emunah. And, and that means craftsman. A craftsman is so secure and firm in his knowledge or skill that he demonstrates the knowledge or skill by what he does. What is God calling you to do? God is calling us to faithfulness. I don't think it means without fear. But I think, well, the Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear. Yeah. I think when we stop looking at the, at the unstable nature of the water and start fixing our eyes on Jesus, yeah. that, that, that's what that passage is teaching. Right. If we can listen to his words, Moses, speak to this rock. And hold the victories that you've seen before in one hand, but also do the unfamiliar. I know that God has called us to this place, in this house, this day, for someone here. And I don't know who we're preaching to. We don't know you too well yet. We know some of you. But God has brought us here. And I know... That there are trials, there are tribulations, there are difficulties, there are obstacles. There are people with potential that would shake this city and turn it upside down if they started finding that sure place. If they said, you know, I'm going to be trustworthy and do what God's told me to do and live the way I know I should live. Because you know what? This, there's so much more. On the other side of this desert that you may feel like you're in right now, there is a promised land, Moses. Amen. Amen. There is a promised land, Israel. You don't have to murmur. You don't have to rebel. You don't have to worry. Even though that's probably very tempting. But what is God calling you to do? And I believe that every single person has something that God calls them to do. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. We need the elders. We need their wisdom. We need them present and active in our life. Young people, we need your energy, not into video games. We need your energy in the work, in the, in, in the power of his word. Because someday, young people... You'll be in our position ministering. Yeah. Young people, you'll be on the streets ministering. Yeah. 
It says your young men, your young women will dream dreams. Like we will be, we'll be working, we'll be in the spirit, we'll be prophesying. What if our young people, what if our church, young marriage, what if our church got a revelation of what God is trying to do in this nation, yes. in this city? Yes. You know, this is worth fighting for. Amen. This is worth putting our trust in. Because in the end, everything else is vanity. Yeah. It's just going to go away. You know that car? It's going to need an oil change. <laughs> that job you think is going to solve everything? It's not going to be so hot in 20 years. <laughs> right. But you know, a love for your, your Bible, a love for the Word of God, yeah. a firm trust in God and what He's doing, trusting his gentle call. You know, God is not going to be, um, he's not going to overwhelm you and make you do stuff. Yeah. You have to listen and open, open your ears to the, that s small voice. What is God calling you to do? Today we're calling people. We're challenging people. Maybe that are struggling, they have stuff in their lives that need to get out. Maybe we're struggling with sickness. Wondering, God, where are you in all this? Maybe young people that are not sure of that calling, not sure if they want to go all in. I'm telling you today, God has sent me here, sent us here, to give you this word that God is doing something and he wants to do it through you. Amen. Can we all stand? I wonder how many of us are on the cusp of the promised land tonight, today. How many of us have a promise that you know God has given you, but you just don't know what's next? When we're in the unknown, it can be easy to get anxious. It can be easy to start wondering, God, where are you in all of this? Speak to this rock, what? But we, in those moments, need to be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. That same verse says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And could it be that God is wanting your trial to glorify him, that he would be exalted, that your testimony would serve as a witness to somebody who sees you overcome? What could your victory story be? Trust in what God is doing God, even in the unknowns, even when I don't know what's ahead of me, I'm going to be still. I'm going to stand. I'm going to see what you are going to do. I trust you, God. You know, David, when he wrote the Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. You know, he was thinking of Moses and Miriam, the story that he had heard his whole life. And now when he's going through trials and tribulations, he's pulling from the same source. And now today God's calling you. You've lived these stories. You've seen God do great works. God's now calling us, the church, to rise up. To rise up in our own lives, in our own families. And sell out to his purpose. Can we all lift our hands right now? God is here right now. He's moving. He's speaking. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. 
Jesus. Oh God, in your name, the altars are open right now. If God's speaking to you, I would challenge you. I would challenge you to come down to this altar. Rededicate your life. Give your situation to God. Speak to your mountain. When Jesus was looking at the mountain, he said, speak to this mountain and it will be removed. Come on, if we would just have some faith. In your name, Jesus. right now saints people are seeking God people are praying come on let's all bind together as a church God's doing something today hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus God in your name 